Welcome to episode two of the On Earth podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Tuttle, and I'm so excited about this one. This episode builds upon last week, so if you didn't listen to that one, pause this and go back and check out episode one. The first few episodes, they're designed to not only build upon one another, but also to function as a kind of framework or lens that I will be looking through on all future episodes. Last week, we talked about the science behind wonder and awe. In this episode, I want to springboard off those discoveries and look at how they interrelate with humanity's evolving faith and spirituality. Just so you know, I might ruffle some feathers in this episode because I do address the topic of religion and Christianity. And there are moments when I am pretty critical. So fair warning if that's a sensitive topic for you. Okay, let's get started. If you remember last week, I shared the scientific discoveries of how awe is wired into our DNA at a cellular level that we evolved to experience it in order to survive as a species, how awe moves us to be less obsessed with ourselves and more aware of how we can work together collectively, how it motivates us towards cooperation and unity. It increases our respect and reverence for the collective. And then the two most obvious ones, it makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself and creates an awareness of who you are among the order of the universe. You may also remember I left you with a question at the end. I, I asked if you are currently or perhaps grew up going to a weekly worship service, and really it can be any faith tradition, how often do you or did you leave with a, an overwhelming sense of wonder and awe? I'm talking Grand Canyon kind of awe, the kind of wonder and awe that makes you feel so connected to the source of being and those around you so full of reverence that you feel driven to act in a way that brings more healing and wholeness to the world. My guess would be not that many of us. And I want to dig a little beneath the surface and see if I can help us understand why. Let's first start with what the majority of people say when you ask them to describe the God they believe in or the God that's been handed down to them. Now, this is a very generalized description. This isn't everyone, but it is a vast majority. Most people today will describe God as a being who is outside of themselves. Typically, this God is somewhere out there, up in the sky, hovering in heaven. God is male, and many picture an old white man or a white guy with a beard up in the sky. This God is historically worshipped inside a building with a steeple. The steeple, of course, points up towards the sky where God is believed to be. This God created everything, is in control of everything, has a plan and a will for your life, is all-powerful, can work miracles. This God chooses whether or not to intervene in our lives here on earth. And a big one for many is that you should never question this God. Bottom line, many have been raised to become scared of God. In the Christian tradition, which is what I grew up in, there are varying degrees of theology around all the doctrines. For example, God requires you to be saved in order to get into heaven when you die and, and sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for your sins. One of the things I learned along the way is that we humans, we have the potential to go through six very specific stages of faith. These stages are based on the work of Dr. James Fowler. I really regret not taking this class with him in seminary when I had the chance. 
but I did get a copy of his book and I do believe you can still find copies of it out there. It's called Stages of Faith, The Psychology of Human Development and the Quest for Meaning. And I remember in Dr. Fowler's research, he discovered that some of us go through all of the stages and some of us stop along the way. If I remember correctly, it is believed that the majority of the population stops growing beyond a typical third grade level understanding of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with a third grade level understanding. It's a developmentally appropriate level for a third grader. The problem is that the majority of adults today interact with their world with only a third grade level perspective of the divine. And much of what I just described about God does in fact fall into this third grade category. Did you know that right now there is a faith deconstruction tsunami happening around the globe? The word deconstruction, it's become a bit of a buzzword over the past 10, maybe 15 years or so. Basically, more and more people, and more recently among evangelicals and fundamentalists, they are unpacking and evaluating the intricacies of the beliefs and teachings that have been passed down to them. It's often a personal and sometimes private journey, and it can cause all kinds of stress and drama within family and friend structures, especially when the family and friends are not also on a similar path. Imagine getting disowned from your family and told you were going to hell because you realize you no longer believe what the rest of the family believes. It happens all the time. The truth is, faith deconstruction is a very normal and healthy thing. And the fact that it's happening at the pace we're seeing right now, that is something not to be ignored because it actually suggests that a major shift in human consciousness is happening. So it would make perfect sense that all of this can be extremely threatening to think about if you happen to be one of the ones who are perfectly happy and content with keeping things exactly the way they are. And this obviously extends beyond religion and faith. Our political, social, and cultural structures are, they're going through this as well. The whole thing is connected together in a giant ecosystem. If you do something to one thing, it will eventually affect everything else. Now, I want to go back 10 years. 10 years ago, I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old. I had decided the year prior to take some time off and focus my energy on being a stay-at-home mom. On one of those rare occasions when both kids were asleep at the same time, I started reading this book I had ordered, and the author was an Episcopal priest named John Shelby Spong. Quick background here. Science and theology have always been dance partners for me. In undergrad, I studied environmental science and biology. So here I am reading this book, which is called A New Christianity for a New World. And I came across these words that literally changed the trajectory of my life. It was one of those moments when someone else articulates a truth you've always known deep down in your soul, but you couldn't figure out how to get to that truth. And once you hear it, you're shocked by how simple it is and how you can't understand why you hadn't already made the connection on your own. This, this was an all moment of epic proportions in my life. I was traveling in one direction one minute and then the next everything shifted. My faith as I knew it came completely apart. So be forewarned, 
what I'm about to say could rock your world in a similar way. Okay, enough build up. Bishop Spawn wrote something to the effect of, if Charles Darwin was correct in his discovery of evolution, then that means there was never a moment in time or in history when creation was perfect and flawless. And if creation was never perfect and flawless, then there was also never a moment in time or in history when it became broken and filled with sin. Reading this was for me like being handed a permission slip to question the whole thing. What about Jesus? What about prayer? What about forgiveness? What about the cross? What about the Bible? I've listened to several of Spong's lectures and sermons, and over and over again, he says, humanity doesn't need to be saved. It needs to grow up. Does all of this reveal the truth that we human beings are actually an ever-evolving species growing in our awareness and understanding of who we are and who we are capable of being? Was Jesus simply pointing to that reality? And so I had to look through everything I thought I knew and understood through this new lens and completely rebuild everything from scratch. I'm telling you, deconstruction can turn everything upside down, especially during nap time when you don't see it coming. <laughs> okay, I want to jump back over to wonder and awe now. Remember, awe has the ability to make us move closer together, to cooperate together, to be less obsessed with ourselves. It would have made perfect sense that before science existed, everything that happened to and around humans would eventually be attributed to one or more gods up in the sky. The stars, the sun, the moon, all in the sky. Rain comes from the sky. Therefore, we need to keep this sky god happy with us so he or she will give us the right amount of rain. You get the idea. It was only logical that humans would unite together around religious rituals in response to the experiences of all they had. Rain, sun, earthquakes, volcanoes, tornadoes, birth, death. And people would tell and retell the stories and religious leaders would interpret what these events meant and what they needed to do or stop doing in order for God or the gods to be happy with them. There was a time when large portions of the population believed they lived in what's called a three-tiered universe. God, singular or plural, lived in the sky. People and all living creatures lived on a flat earth that floated on top of the ocean, by the way. And then underneath all of it, that was the place of the dead. So imagine that this is the world in which you live, the lens through which you understand everything, and then science starts showing up. The earth is actually not flat. And it's the sun that's at the center of our solar system, not the earth. Okay, fast forward to today, where we understand weather patterns and how they work. We have microscopes that allow us to see the intricacies of the invisible germs, blood cells, bacteria. We can literally split an atom, particles, subatomic particles. We've discovered quantum physics, even though only like two people understand any of that. We have telescopes. We can finally see black holes, something Albert Einstein only theorized about. Were you 
by chance one of the millions who stopped what you were doing to see those first images from the James Webb telescope last summer? As far as I know, scientists still believe that the universe is 13.8 billion years old. And now, all of a sudden, we're able to see pictures showing us what 13.5 billion years into space looks like. You know what this means, don't you? It means, it means we are only 300,000 years shy of being able to see the moment of the Big Bang. This is a level of wonder and awe so epic, I don't even think spoken language is capable of describing it. We're all swimming in this sea of overwhelming wonder and awe over how our world works and what our place is in the universe, something we're literally hardwired to do as a species. Now, this is the part where I'm going to be speaking specifically about my own Christian tradition because it's what I'm most familiar with. Today in the year 2023, the teachings of Charles Darwin are widely accepted. We understand concepts like survival of the fittest and natural selection. We have scientific evidence that supports the existence of evolution and the reality that the world we live in is constantly evolving. But historically, the institutional Christian religion has been fighting against Darwin's discovery of evolution since 1859 when his book On the Origin of Species came out. This is because the entirety of the Christian faith rests on the belief that sin entered the world through Adam and Eve and that God sent his son Jesus down to us so that he could be sacrificed and die on a cross as payment for the sins of humanity. And when you start pulling on the very first block of that Jenga stack, you better believe the entire thing is going to fall down. Progressive theology has helped bring new perspectives to the doctrines of original sin and atonement, but the more conservative understandings always seem to dominate, even among those who've never stepped foot inside a church building before. You might recall in the last episode when I said that I had participated in all those conversations about how to get more people in the pews on Sunday mornings, and I said that not only is it boring and based on fear and scarcity, it's also the wrong question. Well, here's what I think faith leaders need to be asking instead. What they need to be asking is, in what ways does our faith need to evolve and what beliefs do we need to let go of? I know the work that goes into planning and leading a worship service. It's a lot of hard work. And not many know the pressure a pastor feels each week, hoping that what they have to say is worth the congregation's time to get ready and show up that morning. It's always nice when everything flows together, when multiple people are participating, and it's often challenging to not feel like you're performing in front of an audience. And then there's the reality that who does and does not feel connected to God and when that does or doesn't happen is not only subjective, it's completely out of your hands. Okay, here's where those feathers might start feeling ruffled. Clergy colleagues, if you're listening, buckle up because where I'm going isn't easy to say and it's probably not going to be easy to hear. It, this is some tough love shit that I've personally been wrestling with for a while now. Here it goes. Today in the 21st century, the vast majority of Christian churches continue to meet in old buildings with steeples pointing up to a third grade God up in the sky. Even brand new buildings are still including a steeple. Christian churches continue to sing songs that point 
toward an outdated God. And they continued to practice rituals reinforcing the theology of original sin and atonement. We are hardwired for wonder and awe. And our religious leaders and institutions, the ones who have always been the stewards of wonder and awe, continue to decade after decade double down over and over again on this third grade understanding of the divine. The rest of us in the 21st century are staring at images of innumerable galaxies 13.5 billion years into space with unbelievable clarity and many of us feel more connected to the very nature of our existence than we ever have in the history of our species. People are not in the pews because they've outgrown what they're being fed. You want to know why so many churches are dying? Because they have either lost, forgotten, or abandoned their ability to inspire a relevant sense of wonder and awe and have refused over and over and over again to let go of what is dead so that they might embrace what is alive right in front of us all. Now you might counter with, but what about all those mega churches out there with thousands of people coming to worship every week? They're coming because the third grade level understanding of God still works for them. And the black and white cookie cutter answers they've received to life's biggest mysteries offers them a sense of assurance, safety, and certainty. And many of these people would just never grow any further than that. And you know what? That's okay. Up to a point. It's when these cookie cutter answers start penetrating our politics and society in toxic ways that the trouble starts. I'm told a lot of people tuned into C-SPAN for the first time last week. Do we abandon Christianity? Do we walk away from our churches if we still attend them? Do we close them down? Should clergy walk away and start selling insurance? For some of us, that is definitely the logical response. There's a lot of toxic religious leaders and institutions out there, and the healthiest response is to get the hell out of there. I've done it before. I literally rolled my clergy robe into a ball and threw it into the back of a basement closet for three years. Sometimes that's the only right response. But beyond the extreme cases, here's what I've learned over the years. I've learned how important it is to transcend and include. Let me explain. I'm a firm believer in not leaving behind any part of your story. All of what happens in your life plays a part in who you are and who you are becoming. All of it, the good, the bad, the in-between, you bring all of it with you. There are ways to celebrate the truths of our traditions and history while also recognizing all the darker parts. And over time, you let go of, notice I didn't say forget, you let go of what no longer works while also embracing what is new and what does work. When Bishop Spong was asked what he does with the creeds, if you're not familiar with what the creeds are, they are frequently spoken in Christian worship services as a, as a way to reaffirm your faith. For example, the Apostles' Creed starts out with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Bishop Spong responded with, I say the creeds every Sunday. To me, they are a love song that the Christians, my ancestors, 
saying to their understanding of God in their time. I don't have any problem singing their love song. I don't think it's a girdle into which I have to fit my flabby faith. And so I think that if you treat the creed as if it's a faith test that you've got to pass, that you totally misunderstand the creeds. The creeds assume a three-tiered universe. I don't know anyone who believes that earth is the center of a three-tiered universe today, but that's what was believed when the creeds were formed. So once again, it's an explanation trying to capture a central truth. Don't be put off by the explanation. Ask yourself, what's the truth that these words were trying to convey in the fourth century? I remember years ago in one of my seminary classes, one of my professors who was from India talked about a framed painting of Jesus he had hanging on his wall. Jesus in this painting had blonde hair and blue eyes. And I remember he said, I no longer believe that Jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes, but I keep that picture up because it reminds me of a time in my life when I needed that blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus in my life. For me, it's music. I still have all of my contemporary Christian CDs because they remind me of who I was years ago and how I experienced God in my life at that time. They remind me of what I needed in my life during that particular stage in my faith, and they invite me to keep growing and evolving as much as possible. Transcend and include. What would it be like if instead of lifting the bread and cup, during the sacrament of communion and saying the words body and blood? What if we shift the focus to the historical event of the meal and we acknowledge the radical nature of Jesus and his reputation for breaking the social boundaries of his day? The incredible awe people must have felt when they saw him hanging out with the misfits of society. What he was doing at that time in history was a really big deal. What if we looked at the intricacies of the bread and the cup and spoke about their role in creating inclusion, a cornerstone of Jesus's message, while also acknowledging our history of using them to create exclusion. And what happens when we look at the cross through that lens? Transcend and include. And when you start to understand the intricacies of it all, a whole new level of wonder and awe opens up to you. Okay, I've thrown a lot at you, and I know it's a lot to process. I'm still processing it myself. Next week, we're going to start engaging with different ideas about who and what God is. Is there another way to understand God or to explore the nature of our existence and the source of our being? Next week, we'll get to really connect the dots of all this and everything we've learned around wonder and awe, you're not going to want to miss it. Especially you spiritual but not religious folks. I'm going to do my best to try and offer something that might be helpful, including what has been working for me lately. I cannot wait to share this with you all. Thank you for being here. Namaste, my friends. 